Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Nzinga. Okay, so now the kiss got really hot really fast. And then suddenly I had a new life goal, which was not to be a doctor, but to fuck this man. (laughs) (laughs) That and more. But first, someone messaged me on Instagram last week to say they discovered the podcast because they first read the Risk book. And they loved it so much. And then this week, over on the Risk Podcast Fans discussion group on Facebook, Amy Potchin just posted, you gotta read the Risk book. A great and easy read. Some of the stories made me think, laugh, and even tear up. I'm with Amy. (laughs) It's 37 amazing stories, rewritten, some quite dramatically rewritten, including ones by T.S. Madison, Mark Maron, Aisha Tyler, Dan Savage, and many more. Nearly 450 rave reviews on Amazon and available as a paperback, an ebook, an audiobook. The Risk Book. Just ask for it wherever books are sold. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Pat Benatar behind me now. And we just heard a cover of the Risk theme song by Snowboyd Vigil. And if you would like to cover the Risk theme song, all you need to know is at risk-show.com/music. 
Also, this is the time of year when we ask you to pitch us your scary stories for our Halloween episode. Your stories about ghosts or phobias or animal attacks or stranger danger or mysteries, near-death experiences, all that good stuff. All you need to know about that is at risk-show.com slash submissions. Now, we're calling this week's episode Close to You. Two stories about how (laughs) love is a battlefield. (laughs) At least sometimes. Sometimes. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Maria Morris from our July show in Chicago. Maria's first time here on Risk. And before that, we're going to hear from Nzinga, her first time on Risk from our July show at Caveat in New York City. So here she is now. This is Nzinga with a story we call Fucking Batman. <laughs> One time, I cheated on my boyfriend while I was on a date with him. (laughs) I met my boyfriend when we worked at a scientific research foundation that was run by our university. We were involved in tutoring undergraduate students in the physical sciences. I taught biology, and he taught chemistry. On the day we met, I thought he was like a really hot professor because he was wearing brown slacks and white New Balance sneakers and had like a harem of female students. But I soon understood why he had so many groupies because, I mean, he was brilliant, confident, sexy, and like classically sexy, like Harry Belafonte or Sidney Poitier. But I think that was because he like dressed like he was from that era. We connected and started dating soon after, and I loved how much he admired my intelligence and respected my hard work. Like one time he was looking at my transcript, and I swear I looked at his crotch and I thought his dick got hard. So he, he really wanted us to be like this black power couple that defied stereotypes and expectations. I was going to be a doctor and he was going to be a chemical engineer. And he'd say things like, we're living like our ancestors' wildest dreams. And I thought at that point, like my ancestors' wildest dreams were me, was for me to get fucked regularly and rest occasionally. So it's about six months into our relationship and we hadn't had sex. Uh, We didn't make out, but if he got too excited, he'd get really irritated and he would like, quote unquote, lose control. Um, And then he would explain to me like he couldn't do the things that he did with other girls in the past with girls like me because I'm wifey. So like I began to seriously question our relationship when one time we was walking through Times Square discussing the biography of Malcolm X (laughs) and I saw an adult video store. I had never been to one at this time, and with the energy of a child driving past Disney World, I begged him to go in. (laughs) So we went in, and in about five minutes, he stormed out, and I chased him, and he snaps at me. Like, why would you want to go into a place like this? And I was like, well, I'm curious. And then he stops and he goes, you are not a hoe, so stop trying to act like one. And I just thought, like, why can't, like, I cosplay a hoe every once in a while? (laughs) So 
needless to say, I was frustrated and restless when it was my turn to plan date night. And I told him, let's go to the Patriot Saloon. So the Patriot Saloon was a bar in Tribeca that reminded me of the dive bars I used to go to when I was 18 in Houston. I love the Patriot because it was a mix of being anonymous in New York with the grime and anything goes vibe of the dirty South. You know, like, will I flash my tits? Will I get hate crimed? Both. (laughs) Who knows? Because we live in New York and no one gives a fuck, right? But I love it like that. So anyway, I met my boyfriend outside the bar with a prepared speech for, you know, to ease him into all the whiteness he was about to enter. And I was like, hey, my king. He loved it when I called him that. I thought maybe we could try something different. This place reminds me of Houston. And I thought maybe you can, you know, get to know me a little better. So it was our first week of summer break. We both finished finals and I was ready to unwind. I was wearing a cute spaghetti strap top, denim shorts, strappy sandals, and he was wearing brown slacks and white New Balance sneakers. But he didn't wear a button-down top. He wore a polo top, so I knew he was ready to party. Um, (laughs) So as we walked into the bar, um, he did that thing that Black people do when we walk into predominantly white places where we look for every brown face and do a head count. Uh Um, When he realized it was just the two of us, he was like, what the fuck is this place? And before I could answer, he took a deep cleansing breath and said, we are going to work harder on erasing your Eurocentric ways going forward. That statement happened to trigger my slap a bitch ways. So I really needed to like deflect before I lost my patience. Um, I pointed at the dartboard and I said, let's play. He loves darts. So I suggested he go over and call next and I will go grab some drinks. So I ordered a Long Island iced tea with cranberry instead of Coke. And in typical Patriot style, they fill the pint glass full of alcohol and for an obscenely low price. So I go back, I hand him his Hennessy, and then I say, you know the grapes that made this Hennessy didn't come from West Africa, right? To which he replied, pettiness is unattractive. So I sat at the table, took some gulps of my cocktail, and decided to reset. He forgot about me quickly because he was discussing physics of darts um, to some hedge fund type. He didn't acknowledge me again until his glass was empty. And when that happened, he put his glass in front of me with a $20 bill and walked away. So once again, he tried it, but at least he wasn't criticizing me out loud. So I guess it was small victories. Besides, I needed water after chugging a, a Long Island. So I grabbed the 20 and headed back to the bar. Now, the bar was packed with students from the culinary school down the street. So I shimmied to find it in between two tall male backs when one of them felt me and turned around. He was striking. He was tall, blonde, green-eyed, full lips, amazing teeth. And like at that time, the only blonde man I was attracted to was Justin Timberlake at the height of his cultural appropriation era. (laughs) So, but I shook it off. I told myself I was tipsy and I proceeded to try to get the cute female bartender's attention. But the man was still turned towards me and looking down at me. So I gave him the, yes, can I help you eyes? And he pointed to my exposed shoulder and said, you have beautiful skin. I blushed, I smiled, I said, thank you. And then just then the bartender shouted, take a shot with me, hon. Um, And then she proceeded to make some fruity concoction and served it to me and like six other patrons. After I took the shot, I looked back at my boyfriend who now had like a whole group of Wall Street people at the at the dartboard. So I was like, you know, he's going to be all right. I'm going to just stay at the bar a little longer. And my shoulder admirer was engaged in a debate with his classmates. And then he suddenly turns and says, 
let me ask you a question to help settle this argument. And I was like, sure. And he was like, who's more powerful, Batman or Superman? And I was like, well, Batman. And he was like, why? And I was like, because he's rich and white. So um, he laughed really hard and his laugh made me like my heart leap. So then he looked at me and he said, can I kiss you? So I looked back at my boyfriend who was facing the other direction and he was shooting his shot while this green eyed beauty was shooting his shot. And I said, why, yes, you can. So, okay, so now the kiss got really hot really fast. And then suddenly I had a new life goal, which was not to be a doctor, but to fuck this man. (laughs) (laughs) And with the spirit of Malcolm X in my heart by any means necessary. So, but then his next question like cut through my haze because he pointed to my boyfriend and was like, who are you here with? And I thought, oh shit, I can't let him get away. So I panicked and I said, oh, that's my gay cousin. Don't worry about him. (laughs) Um, Anyway, do you know, have you seen the tile in the ladies room? Um, He smiled his gorgeous smile. I said, no, he hadn't. And I said, okay, wait right here. So I power walked over to the bouncer who was posted up by the jukebox between the two restrooms. He was there to stop people like me from doing the things that I was about to do. Um, so I told him, here's a 20. It was the same 20 my boyfriend gave me for his drink. And I asked him, can you please give me 10 minutes with that man over there? Um, he nodded, took the 20. I jogged, <laughs> I jogged back to my object of desire, took his hand, led him to the restroom. Now, the way this man picked me up as soon as the door closed made me really understand that he knew this. I remember thinking how weird it was to have an orgasm to a boy named Sue in the background. And if you are familiar with this bar, you'll know that song plays every hour on the hour. So right when we were catching a rhythm, there was a loud knock on the door letting me know that our time was up. So we composed ourselves. I told him I would leave first so I could freshen up. He gave me a quick kiss on the mouth and left. Um, Then I descended into like a puddle of excitement and panic. Like, what the fuck did I do? Um, So I walked out of the restroom, headed straight for my boyfriend. I told him I need to talk to him right now. So we walked outside. We went to the A-train entrance on the corner. Then I turned and said, look, I'm not who you think I am. And he said, I know exactly who you are. You're a scientist. And I said, no, I'm a hoe in a lab coat. so he began to pace and then he you know he lashed out and he was like are you drunk i saw you with that white boy is that what you want who is he and i was like well it doesn't matter he's batman and then he goes what does that even mean and he ran down the subway stairs assuming that i would chase him but i didn't Because, I mean, what was I chasing? Was I really chasing him, or was I chasing respectability and security? Did I desire a stranger at a bar, or did I desire sexual exploration and appreciation? It was in that moment I realized that neither of these men were oppressing me or freeing me. They were following my lead and treating me the way I allowed them to. But somehow, I convinced myself that my choices were ruled by external expectations and internal impulses. That night, when I walked back into the Patriot, I changed a little bit. I was a woman who got a tiny glimpse of the great power she possessed and could not wait to explore it. And over the next few years, that's exactly what I did. I decided not to go to medical school, and now I'm a screenwriter and a visual artist. 
My ex-boyfriend actually did become a chemical engineer, and he is, in fact, gay. (laughs) (laughs) And Batman, he did graduate culinary school and became a great chef. And Batman and I have been married for almost nine years now. and intensity in their penis that you can feel it radiating through their clothes just to touch the penis. It's on fire. Feel like it's fire underneath the skin. That woman will still sneak and get that penis power from him to separate the love, the orgasm, and the penis. They are separate issues. She's acting single. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
It was May 1988, and I'm at Midway Airport at the baggage claim, pacing around. My dad had called me the day before, and he said, Hey, Moe, I'm coming in tomorrow. I'm landing at Midway. I'm going to come home. Can you pick me up? And I was like, well, all right. I happened to be graduating from grad school that day, but I was able to rearrange my schedule. And so I borrowed a car, and I went down there. I was very nervous. He, he'd been gone for 18 months, and uh, we hadn't really communicated that much, just a couple of postcards and basically niceties back and forth in that whole time. During that period of time, in the late 80s, my parents had been separated for 10 years, and they were in the process of reconciling. And I wouldn't say I was indifferent to it, but I was worried because I knew that my mom's feelings would get very hurt because they had a very fractious relationship up until that point. There was always a lot of fighting between them, but my mom was doing all the talking and yelling, and so I always thought she was the bad person, when in fact he was kind of a piece of shit for a lot of their marriage. I didn't figure that out till later. So I didn't know what was going to happen as far as him and my mom, and I was nervous. So the doors open, and I see him come through, and he's got a big smile on his face, and he's got two duffel bags, and he's like, pretending to wave with the duffel bags, and I wave at him. And then moments later, his face was just like, and I said, what? He said, she's here. And I turned around, and there's this woman. My dad had gone to Argentina, as he told me in a phone call, when he said, I'm going to leave this Saturday. I'm moving to Argentina, by the way. Um, he said, I need to study the real Platense dialect, and I can only do it if I immerse myself. And at the time, I thought, you know what? This is a fight-or-flight thing. You're getting close to re reconciling with mom, and you just have to get out of here. Well, actually, he was running for his life from the person who was standing behind me at the airport. So I turn around, and I see her, and her name's Rebecca. She had gray curly hair and this big baggy denim dress, even though she was a tiny little person. And she's got this like fucking bonker smile on her face. And she's coming, she's coming like, I just came to welcome your dad back to the country. And dad says, Moe, we have to run. And so he drops one of his duffels. I grab the duffel. He's got the other duffel. And we're running to the car through this long concourse. And she's keeping up with me. My dad is like, freakishly thin and fit his entire life. And so he's like 100 yards ahead. I'm like, well, lucky for you, Dad. But I, so I've got the duffel, and I'm like, <laughs> and we're getting you know, close to the parking garage, and we get in the car, and she's pounding on the window. She's like, Sean, I just wanted to welcome you back to the country. I came all the way out here to say hello. And I was like, okay. So Dad gets in the car, locks the door. It's the old school, presses the button down, if you remember that. I throw the duffel in, we peel out of the parking lot, we're headed north on Cicero Avenue to get to the expressway, and he says, oh, I think we lost her. I'm like, we may have, but does she know where we're going? He said, no, she has no way of knowing where we're going. I'm like, she had no way of knowing that you were going to be at Midway Airport in the middle of May in 1988. Well, how would she not know where you're going? Other problem, the car I borrowed was like a 1979 era Crown Victoria decommissioned taxi cab in the original yellow. So 
In terms of teaming up with somebody on the Eisenhower, we were it. You, you could <laughs> spot us from a mile away. So we go to the place where he's staying. And I said, Dad, is that why you went to Argentina? And he said, yeah, she, she, she was going to kill me. And I said, well, maybe you should have mentioned that and gotten law enforcement involved. He was like, well, I just didn't want to. And, and of course, avoidance was sort of his way of being. My dad was an odd duck. He was like a loon who really never should have mated for life. And I think if he had come of age in any other time than the late 50s, early 60s, he probably wouldn't have gotten married right away. He would have done what regular people do now, which is figure out what they're going to do and pair up later or not, you know. But he got married and he had kids, and so he sort of lived this, I don't know if it was ADHD or completely unfettered, unaccountable, lack of responsibility existence. You know, he never earned a living. He never finished his PhD. He instead stopped right short of his dissertation to open a bike store. Um, Because why not, right? It was a very successful bike store, actually, in Madison called the Yellow Jersey. But he never took a salary because, again, why would you? So this was a man who was a challenge to any woman. And my mom, goddammit, she was up to it. She fought for that relationship. And the rest of us are like, what are you doing? Anyway, so we zoom across town. And we get to the apartment. And I'm just kind of sickened by this. It's like... Talking to your dad about an affair, the fact that he had many affairs, which I figured out in a very awful way that I don't even want to talk about now, years earlier, it's really icky to talk to your parents about sex. And I don't care what generation you are. It's just gross. So I was like, Dad, you really got to cut this shit out. <laughs> let's just leave it at that. He's like, okay, let's leave it at that. So we get the doubles out of the car, and it's all clear. We go into the courtyard. And we're both inside, and I shut the door and put the duffels down, and I'm trying to figure out which key opens the apartment, which is right there on the first floor. And all of a sudden, the glass on the vestibule door just, like, crashes in. There's Rebecca. She comes crashing in to this vestibule. The glass is cutting her forehead. It's cutting her forearms. And she's like, I just stopped to say hello. (laughs) Why? Can't you have a conversation with me? And she takes her arm and she smashes it across my dad, like right here, like this. And I'm like, get away from him, get away from him. And my dad says, she's going to kill me. She is going to kill me. And she weighed like 100 pounds, but had the strength of a 1,000 men. She's just like (laughs) twisting him and turning him. And there's blood spatter on the white plaster walls. And I had just moved into a new apartment in the city that had been painted white. And I'm like, they're going to have to repaint that. That was funny where your mind goes. Talk about avoidance and escapism. And she's got blood all over her face, all over her arms. And my dad had her by both wrists, and he's twisting, and he's turning. And I was like, bam, across the top of her forehead. She gets up on the duffel that was next to the apartment door that I'm trying to open. So she's above him, and she's like, bang, 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 on top of him. And then her mouth, in slow motion, not really, but it felt like it, comes toward him, and she lands her teeth on his inner arm. It wasn't just a grazing bite. It wasn't just teeth marks. Flesh flew. I'm sorry. (laughs) My dad collapsed. She reels backwards. She's out in the courtyard. 
collapsed, maybe unconscious. I didn't know. And I'm like, somebody help, call 911. And the police arrive, there's all these cars, an ambulance shows up. One ambulance takes Rebecca. Another ambulance takes my dad to a different hospital. I had to have a conversation with my mom that night, which was one of the worst things I have ever had to do. And I'm like, Dad's home. But, um, so Rebecca showed up at the airport and then yada, 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 big flesh chunks. Um, And my mom, who was excited to see him and looking forward to this, she was like, oh, well. So, believe it or not, Shortly thereafter, they did reconcile. That was in May of 1988. In August 17th, 1998, she called me and she said, we just got remarried. And I was like, wait a minute, you're divorced? (laughs) Apparently the arm bite and the stalker killer was enough and she divorced him right after the melee and then they got remarried a month later on their 30th anniversary. (laughs) But because my dad was a weirdo, They didn't combine households again for another 10 years. I bought a a two flat in Ravenswood in 1997, and I lived upstairs and they lived downstairs. And um, it was a nice arrangement that my friends and siblings thought was nuts on my part. And there were times where I'm like, why would, they turned into like codependent cat hoarders. (laughs) I saw that coming. So one day, like a month after they moved in, I was already there, my mom called me at work. She's like, there's somebody on the front porch. And this has been 10 years since the big chomp. And and I said, you have to tell her to leave or you're going to call the police. And she she went out there and she said, oh, hi, Wilma. I'm just here to welcome Sean to my neighborhood. I'll sit out here until he gets home. My mom's like, you're going to have to leave or I'm going to call the police. And she said, no, that's okay, I'll just wait here. And so she was gone before the police got there, thankfully. Um, In 2015, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and my mom cared for him. And he went from being this sort of docile, sweet guy that apparently was really cute to a lot of women in his day, to um, kind of violent and unpredictable and scary to be around. And my mom stuck it out, and she did the best that she could. He died in 2015. He was diagnosed in seven years before that or 10 years before that. Anyway, it had been a while and she'd been, she hung in there with him. And at his funeral, I had the stabbing sense of dread that that wound might show up. She didn't. But I know that had she, my mom and I would have unleashed hell. Thank you. Each and every afternoon 
Well, that is almost all for this week's episode, folks. This is Lisa Dalbello behind me now, a song our editor John LaSala suggested, to follow that jaw-dropping story by Maria Morris. Maria is also a producer at Story Jam, which is hosting its second three-day storytelling retreat near Chicago, third week in October of 2022. For more info, go to storyjamstudio.com. And before that, a bit of a cover of the Carpenters song, Close to You, by Ian Ballamy and Nzinga's story, up at the top, was edited by Taj Easton, who also had an interstitial that he created to follow Nzinga's story, an interstitial called Penis Power. Now, folks, last week we put a check-in from me on Patreon, and I'm so curious to hear what Risk fans might think of all the news and plans and juicy tidbits I was sharing there about how we're doing behind the scenes. So we made that check-in free to access, even if you're not a member at patreon.com slash risk. So go check that out. And this week for Patreon members, we added a bonus story by the one and only the outrageous Olga Schmutz. My mom's friends were like, oh, your daughter. Oh, she's so beautiful. My mom's like, yeah. Until she opens her mouth. Every time you open your mouth, diarrhea. Blah, 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 blah. That and dozens and dozens more bonus stories and interviews and check-ins at patreon.com slash risk. Becoming a member really and truly helps keep risk running. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Folks, don't forget, I do one-on-one storytelling training at kevinallison.com. I've coached people working on all kinds of writing, performances, presentations, podcast production, and more, as well as life coaching for creative endeavors, life transitions, alternative sexuality. If you have any questions, you can just email me at kevin at risk-show.com and let's explore how I might be able to help you. And for everything else you might want to know about us here, our socials are at Risk Show. Our site is risk-show.com. And our school is at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I'm gonna get close to you.
just like me They long to be close to you Fucking Batman Ha 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 